Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 How's that? Hi there. So you're listening to this month's Label of the Month podcast, which is Danger Mouse's label, 30th Century Records. I spoke to Brian, also known as Danger Mouse, over a telephone, a rather crackly telephone wire to New York City earlier on today. Let's have a listen to that. Apologies for the sound quality. Rough Trade Radio. Hi, Brian. It's uh, great to speak to you again. I guess we go back quite a long way, really, don't we? I think you first came to London, wow, quite a long time ago now, I guess. Uh, it was like 2001, I think, was when I got there, yeah. And I can remember you used to bring in um, your records of uh, kind of mashups, they were. I suppose it's just right when mashups were first starting, you used to bring in these like hip hop 12 inches, didn't you, that we used to take Sailor Return and sell for you? Yeah, I, um, I was doing stuff like that, I guess. Uh, I was making my own music and then doing those kind of just for fun. And, you know, people would, you know, would be more interested in, in uh, remixes of, of, of artists they've heard of than my own stuff. Because pretty good anyway. So that's what I was doing. I was pressing them up. Um, gosh, where, where was it? I think where it was. It was about an hour on the overground train from where I was at. I was going to this little um, record plant that was just pressing them up, uh, you know, hundreds at a time. Yeah. when I put them. And then I was just lugging them around in a backpack and bringing them to stores and no questions asked on either side of it on the pressing plant or on the shops i suppose in those days it was kind of quite it was a you know exciting thing to do wasn't it and, you know, yeah it was i mean as long as you had cash and and you know <laughs> it was really run kind of um you know kind of out, out the back door kind of a thing and uh but yeah it wasn't it wasn't like i was doing thousands and thousands of records you know just 100 here 100 there that kind of thing I just remember the BPI getting really arsy round about that time with all those, you know, mashup records. And uh, they said, oh, we're going to take you to court, et cetera, et cetera. And they, we had lots of legal letters from them. One day they came down the shop to look in our section and there's like about 20 records in there maximum. And they said, is this all it is? And I said, yes. And they said, oh, we thought it was like a huge thing, but actually it's just a few people doing some great records and doing it in an interesting way as you. And I suppose there's Errol and Richard X, I guess, at the same, all at the same time. Oh yeah. I remember Richard X actually. Yeah. So yeah, so they didn't. They never. They never did anything then. No, no, it was fine. They kind of just like it, it. Just swept under the carpet. I think maybe the record that helped that happen was Errol. He did uh, New Order and Kylie Minogue, I think, and they used it at some big show or something. And it was kind of it went legitimate after that, I think. And he didn't have you know legal rights to do it but he did it anyway and i think everybody thought oh what a great record and um so it's all kind of cool after that but i suppose we're jumping the gun a bit because i think the gray album was uh, i suppose the thing that really got people's interest in you wasn't it i can remember when you we got them from a distributor called oh god i can't remember they've gone there but they bought them in and we piled them high on the counter and people just came in and bought them straight out the door <laughs> yeah, there was um, there was a, a distributor who was getting them out to stores. It, would, did you have a C? You had the CD, I'm assuming. That's right. Yeah, because I think the CD came out before the vinyl, didn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, the CD was was kind of 
one of those things I just sent out a bunch of them to, and, and even distributors and stuff. It was just sending them out hundreds at a time, just trying to get them out there. Because once I saw that people were interested, I thought, well, can't really make money, money off this unless you do a whole, whole lot. Mm. So I might just get as many as I can out there before they shut it down. So I just started sending them out, even, you know, so, and, and I didn't want a paper trail. So there wasn't any real payment on stuff. It was like, here, just get it out there. I just had a feeling that it might do well for, uh, for the name and, and whatever else. I just wanted people to have it. But then the vinyl, the vinyl uh, didn't show up until after I got the cease and desist letter. <laughs> so <laughs> it happened, happened really quickly. Um, but I remember the, um, the vinyl showing up in uh, at my house in LA. I, I had moved to Los Angeles and um, they sent the plate itself, which they never do, but they kind of, no questions asked, sent me back the pressing plate, the actual stamp and plate and everything, just like, here's everything. I, they wanted to have nothing to do with it. <laughs> so I still have most of them, actually, the vinyl, because they're just kind of working in my basement all this time. <laughs> now, are we, can we play a track from it now? Are, you, are you, we allowed to play a track? Sure. What's the one, uh, the one that uses uh, Helter Skelter? Uh, 99 problems, I guess. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. I got the rap patrol on the gap patrol. Foes that want to make sure my cask is closed. Rap critics to say he's money cash holes. I'm from the hood, stupid, what type of facts are those? If you grew up with hoes in your zap toes, you celebrate the minute you was having dough. I'm like, fuck critics, you can kiss my whole asshole. If you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. I beat with radio, I don't play they show. They don't play my hits. I don't give a shit, so Rap mags try and use my black ass So advertise to give them more cash for ads Fuckers, I don't know what you take me as So understand the intelligence that Jay-Z has I'm from rags, the richest niggas, I ain't dumb I got 99 bottles, but a bitch ain't one Hit me! 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son I got 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one Hit me! The year's 94 and my trunk is raw In my rear view mirror is the motherfucking law I got two choices, y'all, pull over the car or Bounce on the devil, put the pedal to the floor And I ain't trying to see no highway chase with Jake Plus I got a few dollars, I can fight the case So I pull over to the side of the road I heard, son, do you know why I'm stopping you for? Cause I'm young and I'm black and my hat's real low Do I look like a mind reader, sir? I don't know Am I under arrest or should I get some more? Well, you was doing 55 and the 54 uh -huh. Lost is a registration, it's the body of the car You carrying a weapon on you, I know a lot of you are I ain't stepping out of shit, all my papers legit What do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? Well, my glove compartment is locked, so it's the trunk in the back Then I know my rights, so you gon' need a warrant for that R&G Sharp is attacked, you some type of law or something Somebody important or something I ain't passed the bar, but I know a little bit enough for you Search my shit. Oh, we'll see how smart you are when you came out. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me once upon a time, not too long ago. A nigga like myself had a strong arm, a hoe. And this is not a hoe in the sense of having a pussy, but a pussy having a goddamn sense. Try and push me. 
I try to ignore him, talk to the Lord, pray for him. But some fools just love to perform. You know the type, loud as a motorbike. But wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. And only thing that's gonna happen is I'ma get the clapping. And he and his boys gonna be yapping to the captain. And there I go trapped in the Kit Kat again. Back through the system with the riffraff again. Fiends on the floor, scratching again. Paparazzi's with their cameras, snapping them. DA try to give a nigga shaft again. Half a meal for Bell, cause I'm African. Or because this fool was harassing them. Trying to play the boy like he's saccharin. But ain't none sweeper, I hold my gun. I got 99 pounds, being the bitch ain't one. Hit me! So that was a track from um, the Grey album, the Great album. Now I remember uh, it was crazy because I think Damon heard the Grey album and, in, and got you over to produce the first Gorillas, the second Gorillas album, was it? First Gorillas album. The second one. The yeah. second one. Because I can remember yeah. it was a crazy situation that you were staying in a flat next door to the shop in Talbot Road and EMI were paying for you to stay in that flat well at the same time i think they were suing you or trying to uh, do taking legal action against you weren't they yeah there was something like i didn't i didn't understand or didn't know because i'd never done anything with the, a big label before and dane was would, would have been sort of the first thing um so it was uh i was really just kind of doing a preliminary thing with him to see if you know this was going to work out and um at first i was actually at a, at a hotel somewhere in London for, you know, a couple of weeks working with Damon and it seemed to work out really good and we planned on, you know, something more permanent and coming back. But I really wasn't, I mean, I was excited to be working with Damon and, and work on the project, but I just thought, well, you know, they're going to take all my money anyway. They already told me they would. <laughs> yeah. and so like I said, I, I just knew I was in trouble. I was like, oh man, oh well, that's okay. But I still wanted to do the project. But then when I was checking out the hotel and I was signing my, uh, my little bill thing, it said it was being paid for by EMI, and I never put two and two together. I just didn't. Uh, I just didn't really look at stuff that way. Um, but then it. But I didn't bring it to anybody's attention because I didn't want to get kicked off the record. I thought, you know, maybe it's a big company and they have no idea that this is happening. So I don't want to say anything to anybody. Um, so I didn't really know that they were going to back off until I was pretty much done with the gorillas. It took you know over a year. They just stopped contacting me about stuff. And uh, I had heard, it turned out that Damon had actually kind of gone in and, and uh, there was, a, 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 I guess, some kind of a fight about it. And he demanded that I, that, that I do the record and that they you know, leave me alone in some kind of way. So, and it worked. You know, he, he, he stood up for it and, and he kind of bailed me out, I guess you could say. And, and I didn't really know how that, that, that all had gone down until well after you know, the record, the album was done. So, 
Yeah. Good for Damon. That was good of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. But then, yeah, after that, well, during that record is when I was, it was that door right next to the Portobello shop that, that I was staying in this little, uh, little apartment at the top. And so, yeah, every day, Damon would just ride his bike over, ring the buzzer. I would act like I was ready, but I was really in the bed sleeping, hungover usually, until he, uh, and as soon as he buzzed, I'd jump up and say, I'll be right down. And I just threw my clothes on and, you know, ran down down there and then we would just walk over to the studio sometimes he'd just be in your shop just looking around waiting for me but um yeah yeah that for, for months and months he's still quite an early riser i cycled to uh the shop from paddington station i often cycle past him on his bike usually he's hands-free with a fag in his hand and it's just like yeah whatever <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. So after Gorillas, I think uh, then you did, uh, I mean, you've done so many things, but um, Niles Barkley, or did that come before Gorillas? Well, that's the thing. Like, I actually started with Zelo, Niles Barkley, before the Grey Out meeting. We started on that oh. in 2003. Um, he had come in to do a remix on this Danger Mouth from Gemini album I was doing. Um, and we were doing remixes, and he came in the studio and sang on a remix. and. And then I had, I had this group of songs of, of music, really, more, mostly just music, and uh, that I wanted to make an album out of. I didn't know, I didn't think it really needed a rapper. It needed more of a singer, but not a traditional one. So I played him some of the songs, and he, uh, he really liked the music. It was really weird and dark, and uh, he, he thought he was going to maybe, he asked if he could use some of it on his new album, and I said, I really already kind of wanted to do a whole album with somebody on it. So he said, well, let's do it together. It was right then and there. And so I thought, oh, this is amazing. I'm from Atlanta, so it's CeeLo. And it was, you know, that would have been a dream for me. You know, CeeLo was a legend in, in Atlanta, especially. And so, uh, yeah, we started, you know, I started coming to Atlanta, you know, here and there to do a song or two. And it just took forever to get things going. We only had a couple of songs. And then when I did the Grey album, I, I gave him a copy and said, I did this thing. and you know, once I think I started getting attention for that, he uh, he paid a little more attention to this kid, to, to, to me doing this, you know, to, to what we were doing. And so we started getting a little bit more done. And then once the gorillas happened, you know, then we really were, you know, in the studio a lot. So, yeah, but it didn't finish, finish until uh, I was working on The Good, The Bad, and The Queen, actually, at the same time. So... I remember we were mixing the good, the bad, and the queen when crazy first came out. Uh, so that, that kind of, kind of coincided with each other. Um, it was interesting because the, I remember when we finished crazy, it was one, one, um, it was one like two week session. We did about five or six songs and crazy was one of them. I didn't even think it was the best song we did. I just thought, Oh, you know, it came together really quick, but, um, we we were trying to get a deal for it and it just you know we sent it to all the majors and everybody said no everybody rejected the out and it was just like you hear it now crazy was the first one on the demo and everybody said no so i was like yeah i guess it's still too weird so we just kept working uh, until eventually it came out uh zane Lowe played it on his tv uh advertisement when he was taking over for uh, john peel i can remember it was uh hugo from Warner's bought in, it, was, it came out as a 10 inch white label to start off with, I think, didn't it? And um, yeah, they yeah. bought some in. I, I don't know how people could have turned it down. I mean, as soon as I heard it, I just thought, oh my god, what a great song! 
It's just amazing. Anyway, I think we should play it now. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo in so much space. must be one of the best-selling songs of all time isn't it i mean it's incredibly popular i think so i mean i don't know i mean it, it's it, it, the timing of it was very strange because we there was all these things about you know downloads and physical and it was kind of in the middle of no man's land i mean if it had come out right now the streams would have been you know through the roof but at the time not that many people i think had iTunes accounts and were on their cell phones buying music or anything like that. Yeah. It was kind of it was kind of in the middle of that. So I don't really know numbers wise if it's as big as some of the bigger things now because the access wasn't really there. And uh, you know, physical it was much bigger in the UK because uh, you guys did more physical uh, singles. America they kind of stopped doing physical singles in the I want to say the late '90s, maybe even early 2000s. It really wasn't 
that big of a singles thing, but I know you guys always had tons of CD singles. Yeah. I mean, it, I just remember it selling so well. So what did you, what, what came after the Niles Barkley then? Let's see, let's see, let's see. It's a good question. Um, I started working with Sparkle Horse. Um, you know, I was helping him with his album. He did an album that came out in 2006. So I had been working with Sparkle Horse before Niles Barkley had even finished. Um, <laughs> there was a time I was working on, yeah, I was working on uh, Good, the Bad, and the Queen. I was working on Niles Barkley. I was working on Danger Doom. And I was working on Sparkle Horse all at the same time. I was just going up. I was just, you know, on a plane constantly going to each person every week. But I was finishing all those things. So then I mixed them up a little bit. Doom wound up being on the Gorillaz record, and um, Mark Linkus played a bass line on the Danger Doom album. And then, you know, I just would stay with Mark out in the middle of uh, North Carolina and just make try to help him with his album. And so after that, it was just the stuff with Sparkle Horse came out, the Danger Doom record came out, uh, I think, the same year as the Gorillaz record. But then after Norris Barkley... I just toured a lot with that, and then the Good, the Bad, and the Queen came out after that. That was the first kind of, I guess you could call it like a rock record that I had really done. Um, and that came directly after uh, after Gorillaz. Um, so yeah, I was finishing that one before Gnarls even came out. Blimey. So you were keeping busy then? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was constantly doing that. And, and then after that, the next thing was, you know, I had a really, my, my, my year 2007, I did four more records, I guess, four more albums. I did um, the Black Keys album. We started recording that uh, Attack and Release in 2007. Uh, I started recording the second Norris Barkley album. I started the Beck album, Modern Guilt, in 2007. Um, Martina Topley Bird in 2007. And Shortwave Set in 2007. So I started five albums, I guess. And those all came out in 2008. <laughs> I'm going to play a track from that shortwave set because I loved that album. That was, yeah. I, in mm-hmm. fact, it's only when I was looking at Wikipedia earlier on that I realised you did that one. But um, I love that record. It is such a good record. Oh, yesterday's to come. Godspeed your distant sun. Oh, yesterday's to come. I will never, ever wish you away. For each ray that 
Yesterday's to come. All our tomorrows, shapeless and undefined, will merge into one. In a final moment for yesterday's to come. In a final moment for yesterday's to come. Record with uh, the Black Keys with Ike Turner. Then, well, what happened was I uh, I knew Ike and was uh, he lived in Los Angeles like I did. I met Ike in two thousand three, I think, right when I moved to Los Angeles, and he was just a friend. And we hadn't really done any music together, but I was doing some mixes on the uh, on the Gorillas album uh, in my house in, in Los Angeles, and Ike stopped by out of nowhere. He just kind of just dropped in with a with a lady friend of his and um he wanted to play me some music he was working on uh and i told him i was working on something downstairs you know and i thought hey why don't you come play on this play piano on this and he played on it he just messed around a little bit and i i took some parts i thought worked and then i went back and told damon if he was excited about it damon and jamie and then we put him on the album and then i remember when the album came out i hadn't even didn't even remember doing it. Didn't know what it was for. He didn't really know what the gorillas was, and people were asking him about it. And next thing you know, he wound up touring with them on that whole, you know, Harlem uh, Apollo tour, and then the one in Manchester. He wanted to play all the live shows with them. So I had a relationship with Ike, and we were. I wanted to help him make a record. Maybe um, you know, I was playing him some hip hop music and things like that. I was always trying to introduce him to stuff. But then when I played him. The black keys and white stripes he kind of perked up he was really bored with hip-hop sounding mm-hmm. stuff you know he didn't wasn't very interesting to him but when i played him the bluesy stuff yeah he perked up but i remember him telling me 
the way the stuff sounded. He said, man, if I gave that to a record label, they'd throw it back in my face. <laughs> and I said, not today, they wouldn't. Uh, this, is what, this, is, this is what's going on right now. So I reached out. I didn't know Dan or Pat from the Keys. I just uh, got an email from a friend of a friend and um, just sent, you know, had a phone call with Dan and said, hey, I'm thinking about making this record with Ike. I need a backing band. You think you guys could do some music and I can get him to sing over it. And he was up for it. So they started writing songs specifically so that I could sing it. And I told Dan, just, you know, you just sing it and, I'll, and then uh, send me an instrumental and I'll be able to have him uh, just kind of, you know, you write the songs and I'll, I'll get Ike to do them. And so he started sending me songs and we started working on it. And, you know, his voice wasn't really holding up. And the, the range that Dan was singing in wasn't working that well for, for Ike. It was really hard for him. And so the demos weren't up to the standard I really thought, but it happened that all the, uh, the songs they were sending were some of the best wacky songs I had heard. So when I talked to them, uh, you know, I, I was telling them that and, and they had never worked with a producer before and they wanted to do something different. So I kind of offered it up and they were up for it. So we, we went in and, and did the record in a couple of weeks based on a, originally a lot of the songs that were meant for Ike, but then a lot of new ones as well. Wow, because that's, I mean, that for me, that was the album that changed their course from being maybe White Stripes kind of sound-alikes to being, you know, that they really found their own voice then, I think, and became an amazing band, and I've loved everything since then, really. <laughs>
Okay. Um, so you were keeping busy then. And then so Broken Bells, was that round about the same time as that then? Well, that was, I started on that um, on tour for the second Gnarls Barfi album, 2008. So James and I had met at the Ross Gilda Festival when I was uh, doing a DJ tour for the Grey album back in 2004. So we met backstage in 2004 and just kept up. And then I'd see him on tour during uh, the first Gnarls Barfi album, 2006. He was touring that uh, Shins album. And then... Um, I just run into him a lot uh, here and there, and, and so we kept up and decided to go in the studio together, and that was, yeah, I think around 2008 or so. It took about a year of working on stuff here and there, so we finished in 2009, and that's when it came out, you know, it came out 2010, the album came out 2010. Um, so, yeah, that was a, that at the time, I think when I made that album with James, that was definitely the most fun I had making an album. It was the most it was kind of the record I had been trying to make for a long time with somebody. And, 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 and so I was really, really, really pleased that, that it could happen after all the other stuff. And I didn't think it was going to sell or do well or anything like that. I just thought this is just something I really wanted to do. And I really enjoyed working with James. God, I haven't listened to it for a while actually, but I think it was track three was the one I always really liked on there. Um, oh, such a great album.
Okay, so that was the um, Broken Bells. And then after that, then, then you moved, you know, I mean, you did the U2 album then, I think, didn't you, after that? Let me think. Um, I'm trying, I got I to gotta give me a second. Let me look and see what I was doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, you can't remember everything? I should. I don't know. I, 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 I'm trying to remember a couple of things that were, were going on at the time. Um, it sounds like you, so never, I, I, you never rested. You were doing so much all the time. Yeah, it felt that way, too, to be honest. Um, so, no, I think that what happened, no, I, no, it was two other records that I was working on that took, took a lot of time, which was the Dark Knight of the Soul album with oh, Sparkles yeah. and, um, and the Rome album um, with uh, Daniel Lupi and Jack White and Nora Jones. Those, those two records I had been working on before Broken Bells and finished them right around the time of Broken Bells. So we just had to figure out a time to put them out. So um, I remember we... We the Dark Knight of the Soul album, you know, Mark passed passed away while I was doing prom, uh, promo for. Um, at, I was at South by Southwest with um, with James for Broken Bells when that happened, <clears throat> and um, so that album hadn't come out yet. And Rome, I was finishing up as well. Those those came out in two thousand, I think, ten and eleven. So yeah, the Rome album I had started working on back in during the first Nalls tour. Um, but yeah, those two records came out, uh, yeah, 2010 and 11. So, and Broken Bells was 2010. So those three kind of came out within a year of each other. Blimey. So still banging them out then. <laughs> yeah. That was, those were busy times, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of albums and I just, yeah, I guess I just kept going from one to the other. And, and then, um, what was the, oh yeah. So yeah, the YouTube thing kind of started. In the summer, I started working with them in the summer of 2010. Um, it just took a long time to really get to the point where some of the material, where, the, where it actually came out. But that was just a process. I still did a lot of other records in the meantime. There was an Electric Guest album I did. Um, Which I my- love. That Electric Guest album, I love. And uh, we'll play a track from there a bit later on as well. Yeah, but carry on, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just saying that that was something I've been working on around 2008, nine as well. Or maybe yeah, around two thousand nine or so we started it, but I really kind of jumped in on it after the first after the Broken Bells tour and after a little bit of U two we kinda of went in Asa and I went in and finished the uh, the Mondo album uh, in, in, in Los Angeles.
So she packed a bag. Halfway gone, she called her dad. He said, "Baby girl, if you want free, you won't see me." She said, "Okay, then just let me be. Got some work. Called her bosses, sir. But although she tried, something sick inside. Hearing, baby girl, if you want free, you won't see me." And they shot her. And then also, right around that time, I guess, the year uh, after that summer, 2010, I started going, I went back in the studio with uh, the Black Keys to do a whole other album. We, I, went, I, went, I, had a, uh, me, I had only done about maybe like one, a couple of songs. One song actually that made the, the Brothers album that was really more something they did on their own. I just kind of did the, the song Tighten Up with them. But we went in uh, and did uh, El Camino. Uh, and that was right around 2000, I want to say 2010 is when we did it. Um, maybe, a, yeah, it was, I guess it would have been, no, 2011 maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we went in and did that record in about six weeks time. We wrote, wrote it and recorded it in six weeks and we were in and out and just done. And then that came out. And um, right after that, I went in with um, that summer, I guess we, we recorded that in, in the spring. And then that summer, uh, I did an album with Nora Jones in in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and then that came out in 2012. And that Nora Jones album, that was a lovely album. I mean, a really great album. I think we can we'll play a track from that. Little broken hearts of the night, slowly picking up their knives on the way. Soldiers in their beds Making love inside their heads With no chance to defend Tonight could be their end 
So after all these productions and many more, you started your own label, um, 30th Century Records. When did you start that? A couple of years ago now, is it? That would have been around summer 2015, which was really kind of just getting on. I was putting together the first compilation. And why did, why did you start your own, why did you start your own label? Well, you know, I, I never thought I would do it. I, I, thought about it before but but always there was always a really good reason not to do it and what happened was i think after working with all these people you know i always tried to work with people who were older than me and that i could learn from and then i turned around and got old myself and thought well i should probably work with some younger people because that maybe will help at this point so that's really where the turn came i thought if i started a label i would get in the zone of, of checking out more new music and working with newer people in some kind of way. And that would be the, you know, kind of genesis of that. That would be the beginning of that process. So I'm still figuring it out. You know, I, I didn't want to be producing everything that's on the label. I haven't really produced any albums on the label uh, that have been released as of yet, um, except for this new thing, uh, the new uh, the new project I did with, with Sam Cohen with his, uh, the Man in the High Castle soundtrack, which I'll... I think we were going to talk about it at some point. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that was that was the, the basic idea was new music, new new people doing stuff instead of you know I, I want to I, I I saw myself going and working with a lot of my friends over and over again, which I'm still going to do anyway. But I wanted to see what what, what new things were out there. Okay. So one of my favorites on the label is the Big Search. Um, and he was in various bands like Foreign Born and The Cave-Ins. 
you know stuff like that quite obscure stuff but i love that big search album and i think the track is called i can't stand the news yes that's right yeah i love that it's a fantastic track but it sounds exactly like the sort of thing you could have produced isn't it well yeah, that's the thing like when i heard it you know i i i'd met matt i think before he worked with um with matt matthew compton from uh from electric guest they had a little side thing and you know he was in and around LA a lot and uh, a friend just gave me the entire Big Search album the way it is now, uh, right when I was starting the label, and said his friend had done it and you know paid some money and got you know did it really nice in a studio with great players and everything. And I just started listening to the record a whole lot, and I kept coming back to it. And I thought, man, this is not going to sell anything, but I can't stop listening to it. <laughs> so you know, I was like, I just, I just want to put it out. This has to come out in some kind of way, but. You know, it just grew on me. It's just a record I kept coming back to. And um, so we just put it out. It was that simple, you know. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to work with Matt at some point. You know, that record was already finished altogether. He's, he's currently putting together a new record now. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that.
just come out this week uh, is the new Granddaddy album. So just t tell me how you kind of got in touch with them or how it worked out with uh, doing their new record then. Well, I, I did produce the new album, but we're putting it out. Uh, Jason wrote it and produced it himself like he did all, all his other Granddaddy albums. Um, that goes back a ways. You know, I met Jason when I was doing, when I was on tour doing the, uh, the Grey album DJing and stuff back in 2004. So there was a festival called Bonnaroo um, that's still going on. And we both played Bonnaroo and I went and met him afterwards because I was a big fan of Granddaddy's. And um, we met then and kept in touch and we see each other on tour and things like that and just became friends. And then back in 2000, I guess 10, nine or 10, when I was doing the Dark Knight of the Soul album with, uh, with Sparkle Horse, I reached out to him and he did a couple of songs. Um, he said he would try two and we would just use one, but we wanted using both of them. And then uh, after that, they got together, the, you know, they had to stop doing Granddaddy and was doing a solo stuff, but then he put the band back together again for a tour in 2012. And I saw them play and it sounded amazing. It was just, it was just like I remembered. I always really liked the vibe. And I saw him and he, and he mentioned the idea like, you know, he may do another granddaddy album. Would I be interested maybe in producing or something? And I thought, well, if that's the only way you'll do it, I'll sure, you know, but I think it sounds great. Like it is, you know, they're, you know, it's one of my favorite bands. I don't want to mess with it. Just do what you just do another album. And then a couple of years later, he started sending me demos and things. And, uh, and then I had the label and he was almost done with it. And I thought, you know, Hey, you know, what do you think? And it just happened really really uh, naturally, I guess, you know, I wanted to put the album out and it, it is a really, really great album. It sounds just like the stuff that made me love their music from the beginning. So and I know sometimes people say that, but this is, this definitely sound, he used the same, I think a lot of the same equipment recorded the same way and his voice sounds the same to me. So uh, it's, it's in a good way, you know, yeah. very in a good way. Yeah, it's a great album. I think it's a, it's a real return to form for them. I think we're going to sell so many of it. I really like it a lot. We'll play a track from that right now. Uh, Brush with the Wild, I think, is the track I really like. <laughs> Nice. In dream of a girl or 
Okay, finally then. So the compilation, the uh, castle compilation, what's that? So it's the Man in the High Castle. That's it, yeah. It's a television show. It was like a, it was a Philip K. Dick novel that they turned into a TV show. Um, and so I got approached to do, you know, a song or, or two, because it takes place in an alternate reality where the Nazis had won the war. And so it's in the 60s. It took place in 1962. And it's a it's a cool uh, cool show. I went and went ahead and watched both seasons of it. And they were trying. They have a there's a a station. It's like a, a pirate radio station that exists in the show that plays you know songs and things uh, old songs, which you know I, uh, they wanted to do something where maybe there's some new artists playing old songs, but they sound old. So I thought. Well, I don't know if that's really going to work. <laughs> I don't know if that doesn't sound like something I would really go do. But then um, I was talking to Sam Cohen, who's an artist that I, that I've been working with and producer, um, who he put out. We put out one of his albums, and he's he's really great, amazing artist. And he and I were working on stuff, and we decided to demo a couple of what what it would sound like if we got a, a real band together with old instruments and recorded it in the, all in the room together the same way. And if we could get it to sound like it was from that time. And we did a few songs in one night just to see, and it sounded, it, it sounded really accurate. So I said, look, if you guys let, let us do the whole album and then we can pick the singers, we'll try it. And they agreed. They said, do whatever you want. And so we went and made this album and, we got a lot of singers on the album. We went and made a bunch of, they're all old cover songs from 1962 or before. 
Um, so we got people. Let's see. I'm thinking of, on the on the album. There's Sharon Van Etten. There's Andrew from MGMT. There's the Shins. Granddaddy's on the record. Uh, Beck, Michael Kiwanuka, Nora Jones, uh, Karen O is on the album. It's Angel Olsen. I'm bleeding some people out, but some people on the label as well, like like uh, Big Search and uh, and Maybird. There's a few smaller acts on there as well, but. 18 songs we just did the whole thing and all the backing tracks in about four or five days and then recorded strings and horns and backing vocals and then we started sending out these fully produced tracks to singers and some of them would come in to, to brooklyn where we recorded and do it some people did it with me in, in los, los angeles and some people had to do it while they were on tour themselves and just went into studios and did it but we got the whole thing done in about three or four weeks from beginning to end which which is very efficient <laughs> very efficient <laughs> yeah yeah but it sounds great i'm really really happy with it and it's a bunch of older songs some of them are really recognizable some of them are not we just had some obscure songs and but then some some standards some classics great well i look forward to hearing that i haven't been sent a copy of that yet but i look forward to hearing that well that is amazing thanks so much for chatting to us um yeah sure. that's great thanks brian Good talking to you, Nigel. I'll, okay. I'll send you that record. You got to hear it, by the way. It's 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 really good. I think you'll think you'll really like it. It's it's. I'm I'm really curious to see what how people react to it because yeah. so many of the people you would never think it was them singing because the style and the way it sounds is so different. But um, I will get that to you. Fantastic, yeah. Because I was going to say to you, um, I've forgotten you did that Kiwanuka album as well, which that was probably one of my well, it was one of my favorite albums of last year. That was such a great album. Yeah, yeah. That the Michael Kiwanuka album. I mean, that was, you know, I I was a fan of Michael's um, for years, and just was wondering where he was, like where why he hadn't done another album, and so I kind of reached out to him, and and uh, he was very open to it. But by the time we got together, he had kind of already done most of the album so i so we went in just to do one song and we wound up doing the song called falling that's on the album and but it was very different than what he had done before and so he was interested in pursuing that a little bit and we kind of jumped in it all the way and just said you know let's just keep going and see what happens uh, and then so the whole album kind of changed and then yeah that that uh song cold little heart turned into the kind of the the, the centerpiece of the album it was this big long sprawling 10 minute song uh and we kind of once we did that we kind of knew that the album was going to start with that and then it was going to be this different thing um but michael's got one of the my, my favorite you know voices but he's got uh great great melodies great songwriter as well so um yeah, i'm hoping to to work with him again as well but that record I was very proud to be part of that. And then there was another producer involved named Inflow. And so the three of us, me, Michael, and him, did a, a big chunk of that album, just uh, it, some of it in, in, in London and some of it in Los Angeles going back and forth. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to have just been a part of that record. I think it's it's going to stick around for a while, I hope. Yeah, no, I think it definitely is. And I think it moved him on from being not sort of karaoke soul, but maybe the first one was a bit too retro. But this the new one had a real sort of a modern edge to it and took him somewhere else and particularly i mean that first track just took him somewhere else which just was fantastic i think and um certainly made it for me anyway right on 
Trade Radio.
spend more time engaging with exciting music and less time having to find it. Rough Trade Club Membership, available now via roughtrade.com forward slash membership.